Who was here last week? Who was here last week? We kicked off our summer vocation series. And um, if you didn't hear that and you weren't there, I'd encourage you to, to go back to our podcast and listen to that. And particularly in this series last week, we launched... Um, just you hear more of a sense of what 100 days is all about. And we mentioned it briefly in um, the news today, but uh, you'll get a little bit more of that in, in the podcast from last week. So please um, take some time. Well, let me just kind of start off with the story. A couple of years, well, many years ago, I think, um, we did our first family drive trip to Florida as a family. So we decided to go. I, was go, I had to go for something. And I thought, well, why don't we make this a family trip? And I thought, why don't we drive down, uh, you know, make, figure out how this works. So we, 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 our family drove down, my wife, our two children. And we thought, okay, on the way, uh, let's make this kind of more interesting. Let's spend two nights in Washington and one day in Washington, you know, halfway from here to Florida. And we've, we didn't really explore Washington before. My wife and kids were never there. So we thought, let's spend a day in Washington. Let's have fun and enjoy that. And so here we are uh, deciding that. And so this was actually a Sunday morning when we arrived there Saturday night. Sunday morning, we thought, well, there was this church we heard of. Um, They met in the theater up on the top of National Mall. If you kind of know the area, uh, just on the top of National Mall, there was, um, uh, I guess, a mall subway up there. And this church met there. So we thought, hey, meets at 9 o'clock. Helps us start our day. We'll worship with some people in Washington and then kind of continue with the day. So here's our day, 9 o'clock in the morning morning, we start and we gather with this church. Then we get out of there and we're at the top of, of National Mall, kind of like up there, like past the monument. And um, we said, we'll just slowly make our way down throughout the day. So we do that. We grab a bite to eat. We start with one museum, the Aerospace Museum, the Smithsonian Museum, the National Museum of History. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things going on on the field at the time, uh, conferences, booths, all that kind of stuff. We, people were lobbying for stuff, so that was kind of interesting. So here we are just kind of exploring as much as we can. It's four o'clock comes. My wife says, hey, Dave, why don't we go back to the hotel and relax a little bit and then go out later? And I'm like, my nature was like, no, why don't we have to go back to the hotel and rest? Why don't we just, let's just keep going. We're, we're here. Like, we've only reached here. We want to get to this, you know? And so, like, let's keep going and then we'll sleep later. You know, there's always time to sleep, right? And so, so here we go. We just kind of keep going and one thing after another and another and then check things out and then of course we see the White House and we see a whole bunch of things and it's now it's like 7.30 we're sitting in one of those pot belly restaurants uh, that I didn't know was a chain at the time but I thought cool good soup and like my kids are exhausted my wife is tired and you know everyone's looking at me like good decision dad you know um, <laughs> and so this was the first day of our vacation Okay, right, because we drove down all the way down to Washington and then did this. And then the next day we had to get up at 5.30 and drive to Orlando. So not everything we include under the vacation umbrella is restful. Is that true? Not everything we include under this label vacation is restful or replenishing. How about you? Have you ever gotten back from a vacation and then called in to work and like, I'm taking a day off because I need a rest from my vacation. And, uh, and, and I bet you you've approached vacation or maybe you've approached summer and said, it's going to be different this time. Uh, we're going to plan summer differently. We're going to plan this vacation differently. Well, last week we explored these two different words, vacation, vocation. The idea of vacation comes from the word vacate, which means to escape, to leave something, to kind of like, just kind of leave something behind for a moment. But the word vocate 
means that we name something, we call something into being. And last week we, we challenged one another. We said, what if we approach this summer with a sense of vocation, not just vacation, and said, we're going to call something out of this summer. We're going we're to name our summer in such a way where we, we receive something, we get something, we pursue something, we, we, we find meaning in it. And so we, we started this series last week, we're going to be in it all month, talking about this idea of summer vacation, that instead of uh, just survival mode, we call our summer into purpose. And today, our focus is going to be the idea of rest and recreation, but rest. And maybe, you've come to, maybe you're here to church for the first time, you're like, man, I thought I'd come to church and they'd tell me to do something. Now I'm coming to church and they tell me just to rest, you know? Uh, I don't know what your, your you know, conception of church is, but maybe the questions come up, like, could, could God, does God actually care about rest? Like, does God, uh, does, does God care that we name our summer something? Does God care about how we have vacation time? Does he care if we go on vacation? Um, do the scriptures care about long walks on the beach or uh, resting for a day or enjoying a festival or sipping iced tea on your deck? Does, like, is this part of what it means to discover who Jesus is and follow him and, understand, and be part of God's family? Well, last week we looked into a text, Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40 or 34 to 39, and we looked at this, this conversation that Jesus had with a religious teacher who asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest command? What is the greatest command? Sum everything up for me. And we looked at how the law and the prophets, the scriptures hang on these words, and all God's desires hang on these words. And it were these words in verses 37 to, um, to 39. It says, love the Lord your God. Jesus replied to this person, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Last week, what we did was we tried to discover, okay, there's this love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. And last week, we focused on the love your neighbor part, what that means. And we launched this 100 days of summer. But inside this greatest command that Jesus brings really from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19, he brings these phrases together and he, he replies to this person, we read this, we read this, right? Love God. With all your heart, soul, mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this sense that right in the middle of love your neighbor, if you go back to the verse, right in the middle of of love your neighbor, it says love your neighbor as yourself. It it implies something that that somehow the, the same way you love yourself or understanding what it means to love yourself then transcends into what it means to love your neighbor. That when Jesus says to love your neighbor, he's assuming there's a reference point that we have value for who we are, that we love ourselves, and because if we love ourselves well, we can love our neighbor well. Often people who don't love their neighbors well struggle with what it means to love themselves. And it implies that one way we learn to love others is to learn to love ourselves. Like there's something important in scripture about loving ourselves. And I love this idea in this command that Jesus, as he quotes the greatest commandment, he somehow, as he brings this together from Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. There's something important about you. There's something important about how we understand our own value. A friend of mine last week said, 
uh, this idea of loving ourselves is so vital. And then we talked about the difference between loving ourselves and being a lover of ourselves. We don't want to call each other to be a lover of ourselves. We want to call one another to be able to love ourselves. And so here's the, this part of this vocation today. What does it mean to love yourself? This idea of self-care. If we're called to love our neighbors like we love ourselves, then we should figure out what does it mean to love ourselves? You know, I had this struggle, if I'm honest with you, that over the years, I've tended to neglect my stuff, the things I owned, you know, like, like a physical object. Like, I, I wasn't the guy who washed his car every week. But then I also wasn't the guy who washed his car every month. That wasn't good, right? Like, like so I just like, it's a car, it's a thing, it's an object, and I would like, I would end up neglecting it. I was the type of guy that we're playing a game, and then I'd be like, oh, we'll clean up the game tomorrow. So then what happens with those pieces? You lose the pieces, because you don't care about what you own or what you have. And, and I've learned to take care of my espresso maker, because I want a good espresso the next time, Right? <laughs> But sometimes, I, you know, when I tell my wife, I, I think I should buy an espresso machine, she's like, are you going to take care of it, Dave? Like, are you really going to clean it? And so this, this struggle with, like, taking care of the things that are ours. Last week, uh, Dave Zotti was, was playing drums, and I went over to, you know, while they were practicing, and his jeans were all dirty, you know? And I'm like, what's up, Dave? And, he's, and I look on the floor, and there's these orange rags that are all filled with black stains. And, but he has a smile on his face. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I just polished my, my cymbals, you know? And so he just kind of cleaned the cymbals. And, and I don't know if you were here last week. They sounded awesome because they were clean. <laughs> Dave knows how to take care of his stuff. If there's somebody who, know, who takes care of his things well, it's Dave Dotti. And uh, he can teach me something on that. Now, he's not idolizing his cymbals. He's taking care of his cymbals. When we have things in our lives that we feel are gifts, we don't have to idolize them, but we can care for them. We can take care of them. And that's what it means to understand how to take care of yourself. When you discover there's value in who God made you to be, value in who God created you to be, value in the fact that you are his creation. So this message, when we, before we even start talking about rest, is this underlying principle, you have value. You have value. And when you have value, you discover that you need to, Take care of that value. Take care of yourself. The sense of value comes right from the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, where we read when God creates in this creation narrative, he tells us in Genesis chapter 1 that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is beautiful how this sets the tone for the whole story of scripture. That when God thinks about you and me and humanity, he doesn't think about us as just an object, as a mass-produced thing. He sees us as his created image bearers. He created us to reflect who he is. That even regardless of what you've done, uh, who you are, the mistakes you've made, somehow there's, this, there's still this imprint of the God of the universe on you because you created in his image. And what it, in, a, in a simple way, what it means to discover Jesus and follow Jesus is to discover where his image bearers and to discover the vision he has for us because we've gone off track. And that's called sin in the scriptures. But this idea that we're all created in God's image, we have value 
because we're his image bearers. I love that idea that somehow each and every one of us reflect a little bit of who God is. And that gives us value. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in chapter 2 verse 10, he says to the people he's writing to, he says, you are God's masterpiece. That word can be translated as a work of art. Um, You are God's masterpiece. In other words, or handiwork. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. But it, it, it comes out of this, again, this biblical idea. You are God's handiwork. You're valued. You're special. You're an image bearer. And the one way God reminds us of our value, there's many ways he does this, but the one way he does this is actually found in his command to rest. In his command to rest, what the scriptures often call a Sabbath. Exodus chapter 23, verse 12 says that God said, for six days you shall work, right? Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work. So that even your ox and your donkey may rest, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. In other words, everybody in your orbit should experience a refreshing sense of rest. That you're not just called to work seven days a week. Six days you will work, and there's a goodness to work. But on the seventh day, do not work to find rest and refreshment. This is the biblical idea of Sabbath that the scriptures teach us right from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God instituted a day of rest and he modeled this day for us. When we see the story of creation, God takes a day to rest, a day to pause. In other words, God literally tells us, you're done for the day. You're done for the week. There's going to be more work tomorrow. There's going to be more to do next week. There's going to be more to do on Monday morning. But you're done. You can stop. Even though you don't feel done, you're done. And this idea of pressing pause on our work is this reminder that even though there's always something to do, we're called to stop doing for the purpose of rest and even for the purpose of worship and renewal. So this reminder, you're created to work but you weren't created for nonstop work. That's so key. You weren't created for nonstop work. You know, the, the, the Jews in Israel, um, in Egypt, when we read Exodus chapter 23, it comes out of the story that Israel was living. Israel was found in Egypt as slaves under Pharaoh, and they worked seven days a week. They, 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 were, they were just making bricks and making bricks and making bricks. And when Moses actually came and kind of tried to confront Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the quota higher, and I'm not going to help you with any of the materials. You've got to even go find more of the materials yourself. So Israel or, or the Jews in Egypt at that time, they just had to keep working and working and working and working. And when these words come to them through Exodus and then through Deuteronomy and through the Ten Commandments, you shall take a day of rest. This, these were words of refreshment. These were words. This is like worldview changing words to Israel because they just were nonstop workers. And so the Sabbath interrupts us. It forces us to stop. It creates this rhythm for life. We at a church, as our church coined this phrase several years ago because we were burning out and we had to figure out different you know, ways to do this. And one of the things we actually figured out was church at home. And I'll tell you about that later. But we, we coined this phrase that you can't find rest without rhythm. And you can't find rhythm without rest. You can't find rest without rhythm, and you can't find rhythm without rest. Just like a score of music, if the score of music was full of notes and there were never any rests, 
You would, you would go crazy. You'd be like, when does this thing pause a little bit? <laughs> but there's always rests in music. There's always pauses. There's always dynamics. There's always loud and soft and slow down and speed up. You never find rest without rhythm. You never find rhythm without rest. And God institutes Sabbath to help us discover this. But you know what? This is what I've discovered personally. The biggest obstacle to rest is not your activities. And even though you might have like a difficult boss, you might have a lot of demands, you might have a busy family, and that could be all true. But what I've discovered is that the most common obstacle to rest is me. The most common obstacle to rest is you. That we have this thing ingrained in us at times, our drive, not our activity, our drive is the biggest obstacle to rest. There's sometimes when I'll get home and I have nothing in my agenda, but my mind keeps going. And I have no one actually calling me, but I still want to pick up my phone. And I, I have no one that actually maybe needs me at the moment, but I think maybe somebody does. So I maybe figure out someone to email or call or what's happening. And there's this, I think the big, one of the biggest obstacles to rest is you and me, is our drive, where something inside of says, we can't stop because if we stop, we're going to fall. If we stop, we're going to fail. If we stop, we're going to lose. No one likes to lose. If we stop, we're not going to accomplish this. If we stop, someone else is going to accomplish this. If we stop, our competitors are going to get a gain on us. If we stop, these other parents are going to look better than us. And if we stop, the, their kids are going to be smarter than our kids. And, and you know, they're going to be better at soccer. And we didn't get an award. And what happened? And it's like, we just, there's this thing in us, this ambitious, this drive and one of the biggest obstacles to rest is us. Is the Israel had this drive, like it was driven into them. And so it was so much driven into them that Moses, as he, as he writes these words, and as God wants to build up a people, he specifically says, I'm going to change your worldview. Your worldview was messed up in Egypt. I'm going to change it. You need to be reminded about Sabbath. And, and it's spoken into the, the life of Israel. Why? Because God's saying, you don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like this anymore. One of the Ten Commandments, 10% of the Ten Commandments, are about rest, are about Sabbath. So we ask this question, what gives us rest? What, what gives us rest? What is, how can we participate in Sabbath? You know, and so here's the temptation. Sometimes we just want to vacate, right? We just want to escape. We just want to get rid of things. We want to isolate. But Sabbath means more than that. Sabbath means pausing in such a way where we find refreshment. And then we're, when we're ready for something, when we're ready for something. I love, I love, and I encourage you to read Genesis 1, just the creation account, where as the author writes this, it's so poetic, but we read that it was evening and morning the first day. That it was evening and morning the second day. Do you catch the weirdness here? It was evening and morning the third day. It was evening and morning the fifth day, the sixth day. Why the reverse? Why, why not morning and evening? I don't know about you, but like when I count my calendar, I start in the morning. But specifically etched into the beginning of scriptures is this idea that we start our day out of rest. It was evening and morning the first day. We start our day depending on God. We start our day depending on his power, on his presence, on his activity that's already happening. So rest is not just vacating. Rest is somehow getting rooted in that truth. And so here are some things that we can do. I think one of the first things we can do is plan inactivity on purpose. 
plan, I know that sounds counterintuitive. How do you plan inactivity? Well, you just, you plan to do nothing. So, uh, in other words, you don't fill up your schedule. So, I mean, like, um, you know, I get this, my wife teaches me a lot about this. Now, interesting, my wife, she works really hard. She, you know, she's, she loves what she does in her work. She's diligent at home. When there's an event happening, like, I'm the guy that's kind of ready the day of, and she's the person who's ready one or two days before. Like, she's good at that. However, she's, she's the one who challenges me often to say, why don't we plan nothing tonight? And I'm like, well, we're going out tomorrow night and the next day, but nothing's happening tonight. Why don't we just do something? Why don't we just plan nothing? So you, you mean, what's nothing? Well, nothing is something, and something is nothing. I was like, okay, I got I to gotta get my, my head around that because, you know, that, that's what will happen, right? What do we do tonight? Well, not, uh, nothing. Why don't we just do nothing? Are you sure? Well, something can happen out of nothing, but I don't know if that's possible. So, but there's this planned inactivity, my daughter said, she said, Daddy, what are, you, what are you talking on today? So I told her, and she says, what stories are you telling? So I said, I'm going to say, say something about mom and how she helps us in this area. She's like, bring the pillow from our living room. And I'm, what, what pillow? Because there's this pillow that I bought my wife, and it's, it says, stay home. That's what the pillow says. And I forgot to bring it today. And Julia said, did you bring it, Dad? I'm like, I didn't bring it. But we, we bought her that pillow because it was, there was goodness in that. Even when we think about loving our neighbors, we always think about activities. But one of the things we can do to love our neighbors is to do nothing and sit out on our porch and have maybe an extra drink out or more iced tea ready. Just do nothing. See what happens. So nothing is something. And something could be nothing. Plan inactivity. Plan non-work activity. Meaning work that doesn't fuel your ambitions. Like even, even relationships or getting together with somebody that doesn't progress you forward, right? And this is hard because there's all, we, we live with mixed motives in our brain. That like getting together with someone, sometimes we might not articulate it. If someone asked us, we'd say, no, that's not true. But there's, some, there's a mixed motive that says, when I'm meeting this person, maybe we're going to have this conversation. Maybe this will come up. Maybe I can ask them that. Maybe this will propel this project forward or this relationship forward or this thing I'd love to see happen or this thing at work or this. And at times, it's hard for us to even imagine non-work related activity. Something that doesn't contribute to your work or to your career or to your ambitions. And that's so vital because we just, pressing pause is an, is a, is an act of trust and an act of faith that God is doing stuff even when I'm not. That I don't have to create everything to move forward. Yes, there's responsibility, there's diligence, there's, there's a call to action, there's, there's discipline. But Sabbath is part, part of Sabbath is non-work activity. And I'm telling you, for me, as, as a pastor, that's sometimes hard because my life is so mi- mixed in, right? That everyone I meet is part of, like, I feel like is part of my vocation. Everybody I talk to is possibly part of what God is up to and intermingled with what I do all week. And so sometimes to say, this conversation, this outing, this decision has nothing to do with this ambition I have in my heart. I, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to just trust that I don't ha- I'm not going to make this happen because I need to do non-work-related activities. 
And here's the other one, this last one. And it's this idea of, of restful activities. I don't know what I call oh, active rest or restful activities. And you might think like, that sounds weird. What do you mean like active rest and restful activities? And it's the sense that when we rest, what are we doing? Does rest just mean completely laying on the couch and doing nothing? Does rest just mean like I'm going to watch the next five episodes of Daredevil or whatever show I want to watch on, on Netflix or I'm just going to watch three, four movies in a row? Does that what, is that what rest is? So Tim Keller suggests these three things and I'm going to add a fourth one. He talks about contemplative rest. So rest that is prayerful. Rest that includes worship. Rest that includes spiritual reading. Rest that makes space for God to speak. So contemplative rest is a rest, a moment of rest where we actually set our hearts on God. Where, whether it's a walk or a, a moment of silence or a day off where we say, I'm going to set the tone here. It's so amazing how we plan vacations and we never consider Sabbath. Because to some of us, Sabbath is I'm going to church. Or Sabbath is, uh, you know, like uh, Sabbath is completely kind of disconnecting. But what if we plan real Sabbath replenishing our souls in Christ? So contemplative rest, worship, prayer, reading. Eugene Peterson says, Sabbath makes space for God to speak. On my Mondays is, the, is like I try my best from Sunday night to Monday night to not really make phone calls, respond to emails, texts, this and that. And one of the things I've been doing lately is I read this devotional classic on a Monday morning. It's something I don't normally read. And it's, it's people that have written in the 3rd century, 5th century, 15th century. And it's, it goes, just goes deeper. And it's, it's just different reading for me than what I might be reading in the scriptures all week long or if I'm preparing for something. And it just, it, cha- it makes space for God to speak. And I can't tell you how many Mondays in those 30 or 40 minutes when I've just said, I'm going to include this contemplative rest where God fills my soul up. And we can include moments like that in rest. Here's this other one, recreational rest. The scripture's filled with recreational stuff. We read about festivals and feasts and celebration and, and, and communal dancing together and meals and all this kind of stuff. We read about recreational rest where we, some of you, not all of you, get filled up with people. Some of you don't get filled up with people. But some of you get filled up with people. Some of you get filled up with certain activities. So there's a sense of recreational rest that how am I going to fill myself up, refresh myself For me, at times, it could be hanging out with friends or doing something recreational in that way. But then there's this other side, this aesthetic rest. Do we we spend time in creation? Do we take walks in nature? Do we allow the arts to speak to us? For me, that's like I love to like kind of see something grow in my garden. I'm not great with the food part, but I like the the beautiful parts. Um, And so that's aesthetic rest for me. I'm telling you, like it might be work, taken out a stump of a tree, but at the end of it, I feel good. And it was that my hands got dirty, you know? A few weeks ago, I went to listen to a jazz musician with a friend of mine downtown, and, and you know, it was late at night, you know, I could have totally gone to bed, and I don't do this all the time, but I left like, oh man, the, just the music just did something to me. It was aesthetic rest. And I think the other, the, the last one, and I'll add this, Keller doesn't say this one, but it's physical rest. That sometimes... It's not just doing nothing that gives us rest. Sometimes we need to actually do something physical to encourage our bodies, to to work our bodies. Because rest and rhythm, rest and rhythm actually bring a fullness of life. So when you think about those things, here's my my question as we kind of bring this to a close. 
When you plan for rest this summer, ask the question, what replenishes you? What replenishes you? What's filling up your soul? What's filling up your relationship with the Father? What's, what's refreshing your body? What's refreshing your mind? What's refreshing your relationships? What replenishes you? Bill Hybels was talking to a group of pastors and helping them uh, discern you know, just a healthier life. And I love what he said. I, re- I read this and I had to take it down. He said, distinguish between escapist behavior and what is a truly replenishing stream that will fill your soul back up. Because here's the temptation. The temptation is I'm going to escape. I'm going to vacate. I'm going to get lost. I'm going to isolate for some people, we get so tired, we, we, we just want to escape and, and, and we binge on something or we, we kind of isolate ourselves. And then there's extreme, unfortunate extreme things where people just feel so busy and so full that they, they go to negative things. You know, like just horrible things that fill them up in a bad way, but they, they, they reach out to those things as an escape mechanism. Why are like such a high percentage of people who consume things like pornography and other things like that. That's, part of that is an escape mechanism. Heibel's is saying distinguish from escapist behavior to what truly replenishes you. So the sense of replenishing streams. What's a truly replenishing stream that will fill your soul up? You need to consider that this summer. What is that for you? What is that for you? The goal isn't just do nothing. The goal is a sense of purpose in your rest that will truly fill your soul up. Some of the temptations is I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm, not gonna, I'm going to stop all activity completely. And that might not really fill your soul up. You've got to figure, discern that, how the Lord's wired you. And let me just share this final piece before we challenge at the end this way. We can do all these things, but the scriptures are so, the scriptures are so clear in this. And it's part of the Christian message. Jesus is the true rest. Jesus is the true rest. All these other things that we're talking about, they're rooted in Scripture. But the heart of this, the, the, the rest our soul needs, the kind of how our anxiety will be, will be confronted is through a relationship with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, we read this. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work. Anyone who enters the rest of God, a relationship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, finds the fullness of rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer talks about how Israel was longing for rest, but they kept missing it and missing it because they kept detouring away from God's purposes. But as, as Hebrews, the whole story of Hebrews or the purpose of Hebrews says, no, now Jesus has spoken and in him we find God's truth. And when we connect to him, when we follow him, when we root our lives in him, we find the true rest Israel never found. They just kept going in cycles. You can find true rest in your relationship with Jesus. And so we, I encourage you today, if, if you don't have a relationship with God, and you're just like, I want rest, but you want full rest, that will, you know, you'll get a bit of that with some of the practices we shared, but the fullness of rest for your heart and soul and mind and your life into eternity is a relationship with Jesus. Put your trust in him. Follow him as Lord and Savior. Call him Lord. Turn to him. So as we close today, I want to encourage you to make, make some decisions. Some decisions about your summer. We, we, we're talking about summer vocation, what the next hundred days will look like. It's not just loving your neighbors, but what about yourself? What kind of decisions will you make? One of the decisions we made as a church, we said several years ago, for four or five weeks in the summer, we're going to do this thing called church at home. Why did we do that? Because we realized that the scriptures doesn't call us to 
24-7, 52 weeks out of the year, 12 months, ongoing, ongoing, never pressing pause. And we discovered there's, there's, that's actually good. There's something good about that. So we, just, we did something called Church at Home, and it, it helps our volunteers rest. It helps our teams rest. It helps us pause and trust God. Uh, it helps us do that. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's relational. It's recreational. There's a couple of people that were new to Westside last year, and when they first went through Church at Home, they said, man, Dave, this is a little long. Like, why don't we just take a week? And this, this uh, fall, they got into serving with kids ministry, both of them, husband and wife, very involved. And uh, about two months ago, they said, hey, I was thinking about church at home. Why don't you make it longer, Dave? I was like, what's up with that? And, but that's okay. That's a good thing. We're called to serve. We're called to work. We're called to be engaged. It's rhythm and rest. It's not just rest. You'd get bored of rest. You'd get bored of inactivity. You'd get bored. Of, like, we're not called just to that. It's rhythm and rest. It's work and rest. But we discover we need it. And why do we do this for us as a church? It actually is a spiritual discipline that causes us to depend on God more than ourselves. You know that every time we do church at home, the thought often comes, will anybody come back? What if people go to another church? What if they just kind of like skip out on us? Will we miss out on what God is doing? Did we miss somebody? Did somebody need something? Did someone come on a Sunday and we weren't there? And oh my goodness, like we've lost them all together. And like all these, these, this pressure comes when we press pause. But it's a spiritual discipline that says, I can trust God's provision in pressing reset, trusting that he's at work, he's doing something. And you can do that in your own life as well. So what are your decisions for this summer? Here's the... Two questions. What gives you rest? What replenishes you? And are you connected to the true source of rest, Jesus? Let's stand as we pray this morning. I'm going to ask the the team to come up to help us close this moment. And um, I'm going to just ask you, just for 30 or 60 seconds that you could ask the Lord. You know, because I can't, you know, for me, I can tell you getting my hands in the dirt and um, gardening or taking a bike ride and then sitting on the lakeshore with a journal open, that gut replenishes me. But maybe for you, it doesn't. And you need to do some work with the Lord and, and let, him, let his spirit lead you and guide you. So just for the next moment, just ask the question, Lord, what, what really replenishes me? I want true rest. I don't want to just vacate. I don't want to escape I don't want to, I don't want to like follow the detours that culture brings me on. And then I realize I'm not filled up. I'm just, I'm even more tired. My brain and my heart is more tired. So just take just a a minute or so and just say, Lord, uh, what are some decisions I could be making over the next few weeks for this summer to name my summer, to call out something from my summer and see how the Lord might lead you. And then I'll I'll, uh, lead us in the time of prayer. God, at the heart of this, we run to you because we know that when we find rest in you through the cross and resurrection, through the power of your Holy Spirit and the work of your grace in our hearts and lives, we have found the true rest, true meaning, true purpose. In the Son, we have life. So we cling to you. We cling to your name. We cling to your grace. We revel in it. 
We revel in the cross and the resurrection hope and the promise of eternal life here and into the future. God, may we find our true rest in Jesus. And then God, in freedom and joy, without feeling like we are bent over by the demands of our culture, may we, with glad hearts, just embrace your command to rest, your command for Sabbath. You long for our lives to be truly replenished. You long for us to live out of a sense of rest and hope and joy. And as we find that in you, God, we, we pursue the practices that you call us to. So God, as you've been speaking to us this morning and maybe just specifically nudging and prompting our hearts in specific ways for this season, Lord, with courage, may we follow through on that. With courage, may we follow through with those convictions, trusting, trusting as we put pause on work for an evening, for a day, as we, as we include contemplative and recreational, spiritual, aesthetic, um, physical rest in our vacation that we just don't vacate, but we call into being the kind of rest you long for us, God. And then may we trust you for the fruit. May we trust you for what comes out of that, God. So with all of our hearts, we say, Jesus is Lord. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you to rest as well, that you're at work even when we press pause. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the the joy and life in that. In your name we pray, amen.